We know that there was 2,977 people who died 20 years ago. There was 265 who died on planes. There was 2,606 people who died at the World Trade Center. There's 125 who died in the Pentagon. 343 of those were firefighters, 71 were cops, and 55 were military. And from that day, because the lingering effects kept going on, there's 1,140 people who were diagnosed with cancer, those who worked closely to the Trade Center. 1,400 rescue workers who helped have since died from issues relating to that. 400,000 people were exposed to the toxic dust that came from that. And you ask yourself, because I think it's a popular question, why do we remember? Why do we remember 9-11? And if you look at the Bible, just to kind of bring in the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about from the very beginning, God tells the Jewish people, pass on these stories, pass on what I have done, pass on from here to then to your kids, to your kids, to your kids. And I think the thing that's important is, you know, what we saw in 9-11 20 years ago obviously was an evil to take, you know, almost 3,000 lives. It was evil for people to plan out and to purposely kill other people. And um, sometimes as, as people, how many of us know, sometimes we don't learn our lessons the first time, right? How many of us realize as people sometimes, you know, we make mistakes but the rest of our life in the future is dependent on how we learn from past mistakes. And so why we remember this morning, I think important thing to, to ask, why we remember? Why remember? Because if we don't learn from our past mistakes, you know what? Something will happen again, right? It, something will happen again. Make sure for yourself, for me, for my kids, for our family, for all of us, we learn from past mistakes. And some of us are stubborn, right? Some of us are stubborn, and so it takes a little while to get through them. As we honor those this morning to talk about those on the front lines, we know that there's five main branches. There's the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard. We know that there are firemen, paramedics, doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, the police, all serving on the front lines. The front lines is defined as people who work the closest to the enemy. And so this morning what I wanna do is I wanna talk about two people in the Bible who served and fought on the front lines. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna go to 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'm gonna go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears. And I'm going to do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. Okay, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail, and David put it on. He strapped the sword over it, and he took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such these things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. 
Verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started out across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward him and David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here. I will give you your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. Turn your neighbor and say, this is the Lord's battle. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling. He hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Last verse. David ran over. He pulled out Goliath's sword, Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Israel routs the Philistines, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And so this morning, there's a few things that I think for David, and how many of us know David was definitely a mighty warrior, that David definitely was on the front lines. That King David, he wasn't perfect by no stretch, no imagination. David was not a perfect man, but he was someone who fought all the time. He was in battle from battle from battle to battle to battle to battle, right? And so for someone who was on the front lines, defined the front lines, someone who was close to the enemy, we see David fighting one of the greatest enemies one-on-one, a man named Goliath. And so as we break down this story, I think there's a few things for David where the keys of him taking down his Goliath. And he says, and to think about this for for a minute, he's defining and he's defending himself to Saul, King Saul. This is before David becomes king. Why should he be allowed to go fight Goliath? And you look at this story, which is such a, one of the most popular stories in the Bible. One of the greatest stories ever. Why should this little boy come to the battle scene and see thousands of men sitting there afraid, thousands of men sitting there. And it wasn't like, you know, there was, you know, hundreds of Goliaths. There there was one giant at this time who was making fun of Israel, making fun of God. There was one big, tough dude who was making fun of Israel and was, was jeering and was calling them names, was doing all kinds of things until someone, just one, he was looking for one man to come out and fight him. And David, who wasn't in, in the battle, wasn't a warrior yet, David gets to the scene just to bring some cheese and bread for his brothers. Isn't that nice? What a sweet brother, right? He's out bringing some goodies, some snacks, some fine, you know, gouda, some smoked gouda, and some provolone, and, and some aged cheddar, and some beautiful smoked Swiss with a little bread and crackers. He felt bad for his brothers, well, at least the dad did, so he was commissioned to go and bring these things to his brothers. He wasn't there to fight. 
But why is it this young man, as soon as he gets to the battle scene, as soon as he hears what David was saying, what, David, what Goliath was saying and what Goliath was doing, he became instantly frustrated. There was something inside of him. And there was two things that made him mad. One, Goliath is making fun of my God. And number two, he's not honoring my brothers. Two things that made him so upset. This guy is making fun of God. And that raged inside of him. And then he wasn't honoring my brothers. And that made him even madder. So as he goes to the king, he says, I'm going to fight this guy. None of you old fogies, none of you older men, you're nice, you're wonderful. But none of you want to fight this guy, I'll do it. And so the king's like, how are you as a little boy going to do this? David outlines and begins to defend. This is why. He says, I'm a responsible young man. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you responsible? You know, that's one of those words that I think most of us adults have, have learned how to become for the most part, right? Responsible. Got to take care of business, right? Got to take care of the bills. Got to take care of this. Got to take care of that. For David, he was defining his responsibility because he was a young boy as a shepherd. For whatever reason, we don't know if daddy forced him into it or if he asked dad, can I be the shepherd? But David, as a young man, became the shepherd of his father's sheep and goats. From a young age, he says to King Saul, I've been able, I've been capable, I've been leading, guiding, protecting, leading, guiding, protecting these sheep. I am a responsible young man and I am ready for this task. So number one, he's responsible. Number two, we see that he learned how to trust God. From a very young age, it wasn't an easy thing to be a shepherd, especially I guess where he was at. Because for David, how many of you know that when you do a job, there's two ways you can do a job. You can do the job with your heart or you can do the job just kind of, eh, I didn't have enough coffee today, so I'm not going to give it my all. David is a young man. As a shepherd, he put his heart and soul into being the shepherd. Because as one sheep, now how many of us know if you've got 1,000 sheep and one is being taken off by a lion, most of us are like, have a nice day. I still got 999, right? See you later. I ain't going after anything. David was so consumed. David was so consumed with doing his job right, with being the best shepherd that he can be. His heart and soul into this job. Everything that he had in his passion, he was not going to let one sheep or goat die. He wasn't going to let anything. It wasn't going to be on his watch that someone disappeared. It wasn't going to be on his watch that he let some lion come and take the sheep that he was watching. And so he learned from a very young age to trust God because he was so compassionate and he was so consumed by doing this. And so he learned to trust God because how many of us know if you're going to take on a lion, you need to have some trust in God. And then how many of us know if we're going to not only take on a lion and a bear too? This young man was crazy, right? This young man, he was crazy. But where God calls you to, where God is leading and guiding you to, where there is trust, David learned, if I trust in him, he's brought me here, I've got nothing to be afraid of. I've got nothing to be afraid of. One of the biggest things in our world that we struggle with today is fear. 
One of the biggest things that we struggle with, you know, there's fear of darkness, there's fear of death, fear of dying, fear of loss, losing loved ones, fear of failure, having no money. How many of us know that fear today consumes America and consumes the world? And so if there is fear, there's probably no trust. If there's fear, that means there's worry. If there's fear, there's worry, then there's no trust. The Bible says trust in God with all your heart, not, not 5%, not, not 10%, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on what you know, but lean on him alone. David learned to trust God from a young age because when he was consumed, when he was worried, when he saw that one of his sheep that he was taking care of was walking away, he went after that lion, he went after that bear, and he took it down. You know, life is learning, that was number two. Number three, life is learning how to fight and win little battles. And why is beating a lion a bear considered a little battle? David goes on to, to win and, and, no offense, but kill so many people right? David became king and we know that he, his life was basically a battle. We know that he battled through, you know, evil men, evil people, evil circumstances. David's life was a battle. And so everything that he learned as a young man set him up to win those bigger battles that he faced later in life. We know that even later in life, he even had to deal with his son who basically tried to steal his kingship from him, right? David faced all kinds of evil, crazy, wicked battles. And sometimes in our minds, it's like, ah, you know, if I can just win this next big battle, if I can just win this next big thing, if I can just do this and just win the lottery, all the while we're neglecting the little things that are right in front of us. If I can just get this, if I can just win this, if I can just do this, no matter what gets handed to us, even if you get handed $5 million, if you weren't ready for that $5 million, that $5 million is gonna grow wings and fly away. If you haven't learned how to fight and deal and win the little battles, then you're not ready for the big ones, right? David learned how to be responsible. He learned how to trust God. He learned how to fight and win little battles. And again, being a lion and a bear to me, and most of us in this room, that's no little battle. But for David, it was no big deal. And for God, obviously, it was nothing at all, right? As he's talking with Saul, Saul says, fine. Okay, you've put together a great sales pitch. You are a great salesman. I didn't want you to go out and fight Goliath, but you have sold me. You go ahead and you do this. But you know what? Why don't you use my armor? I want you to use my armor. Saul was the king at the time, and many of us, how many of you know, if you're going out into war and heated battle, you're going to put on whatever you can to what? Protect yourself, right? How many of us know if you are in war, you want to be well protected. You want to have the bulletproof stuff all around you. You want to be riding in the cars that are bulletproof, right? You want to be well protected. And so Saul turns to David and he says, fine, you go but you should protect yourself. This is what's protected me up to this point, and I want you to use it to protect yourself. David puts on his armor. David grabs his sword. But the minute that David grabs it, he realizes, you know what? I've never worn this. This, is, this isn't for me. This isn't what I've used in the past to win my other battles. And sometimes we as people, you know what we do? We are so awesome and amazing as people. Every time that we win a battle, 
when we're talking with other people, we expect them and we want to train them to win the battle the same way that we win the battle. David did not need Saul's armor. David did not need to use the sword and armor that Saul did. David knew his greatest weapon and his greatest strength was what? He knew that his greatest strength wasn't in the armor and the sword. It was in God alone. David knew his greatest strength. It came from God. It didn't come from being protected. It didn't come from what you get shot in your body. It didn't come from who you hang out with. David knew his greatest strength was his faith, his hope, and his trust, and his love in God. That would win the battle. To think about this, faith in God. If I put my faith in God, I can win any battle. If I put my hope in God, I can win any battle. If I trust in God, nothing is going to take me down. Nothing is going to hurt me. Nothing is going to harm me. If I put everything that I have, my life completely in God's hands, if I love God and give God all of my heart, mind, and soul, nothing in this world can take me down. Nothing can take me out. If God has got a job for do for me to do, he's going to see me through. If God has something, where he's placed me and what he's asked me to do. God is going to get me through every step of the way, his greatest strength. And so I want to encourage you this morning, sometimes when we fight battles, your victory does not mean that the same way you got victory is how someone else is going to get victory. You have to, I have to, as people, we're placed on this planet right, with other people. We give out and we talk to and we share and we connect. But one of the greatest things we, how in our connection we need to do is make sure we're connecting through the Holy Spirit. Because just because we've learned a few things and some of our older, a little bit older than me people have learned a lot of things, right, and you face a lot of battles, doesn't mean that it's the same way and the same thing that I need to fight my battles, right? What we need, what we all need is the Holy Spirit, right? We must rely on our greatest strength and it's our faith, hope, trust in God that he fills us with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will be in you and he will raise your body. The greatest thing, the absolute number one thing that we need is the Holy Spirit. David was responsible. David learned to trust God. David fought and won little battles. David didn't rely on an armor or a sword. His greatest strength was God alone. But lastly, David also knew he had to finish the battle. And this is an important one. He already took Goliath out. The rock hit his head. He's down for the count. David could have left him. They could have gone after the army. They already, the air, that they were outside, but the air to speak in everybody's lungs kind of just for the, the Philistines that they were fighting. It was over. The giant is down. But what did David do? He went over there, very gross as it is. He took out Goliath's sword and he cut off his head. You see, what some of us do sometimes in spiritual battles, just as we think we're about to win, we go, ah, I think it's enough. I think I've done enough. I think I prayed instead of, you know, praying for that one hour we committed to, I prayed for 59 minutes. So I'm just leaving a minute early, right? Sometimes what we as Christians do, we don't finish the battle. David knocked no offense, this man's head off because he needed to completely finish the evil that was in front of him. David was a frontline fighter. David was a frontline. He is somebody who served God 
and served his country on the front lines. But he learned the keys to me being a successful frontline fighter is to be responsible, to trust God, to fight little battles and win every battle, to not trust in anything but God. But no matter, no matter what happens at the end, I must finish it. Finish what God has called you to do. Don't go halfway in. Don't go a part way in. Finish the battles that we're facing. When we're fighting Argolias, when we're fighting and there's steep mountains ahead, when we're fighting the things that we're doing, don't give up what you're facing or fighting. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't have a bad attitude with what you're facing. Fight and finish the battle. And then secondly, we turn to our second frontline fighter, and that is, of course, Mr. Jesus Christ. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. People soon began bringing to him all who were sick. Whatever their sickness or disease if they were even demon-possessed, epileptic, paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from the east to the Jordan. We know Jesus, and even though King David we know was awesome and amazing, and, and physically I think for most men, if they read the Bible, King David was one of the greatest men that most men look up to, except for his mistakes, right? We don't look up to those, but we look up to the great warrior and the great musician and the great worshiper that King David was. And so many people, how many people and how many times the pastors all over the world and Christians talk about who King David but more than important than King David, as he was a physical and, and an awesome spiritual warrior, obviously it's Jesus Christ, right? And when Jesus came to town, Jesus changed heaven and earth. Jesus changed every single thing that was going on. We know that Jesus, he was concerned about people's stomachs. He fed thousands of people with hardly anything. We know that Jesus healed the blind, the deaf, the sick, the injured, the crippled. We know that Jesus could control nature, the waves. Jesus raised the dead. He raised the dead. All the while for Jesus, he dealed with all kinds of religious backstabbers. All the while he was dealing with complainers. All the while he was dealing with a traitor, Judas. All the while Jesus was dealing with power-hungry politicians, Jesus was the most amazing frontline worker. And lastly, Jesus we see having compassion on those who were broken. I didn't come to be served, but I came here to serve all those who are lost. Frontline workers this morning, again, define someone who works closest to the enemy. I think all of us are frontline workers, which is my title today. And I think all of us serve the frontline somewhere, somehow. But the greatest question is, if you're a frontline wor worker where God has placed you, how do you feel you're doing in your job? How do you feel that you're doing serving on the front lines? 
You know, and sometimes there's people who never, ever, ever want to get in the battle. Sometimes there's people who never, ever want to step onto that line. People who don't ever want to go to that point of serving on the front line because it looks dangerous, right? How many people never want to join the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard? They don't ever want to do any of those crazy things because you know what? I could lose my life, right? If there's war, war breaks out, something bad can happen. And so as you think about the front line, one of the biggest questions is, are, am I saving life or am I losing life? Am I saving life or am I losing life? A couple more verses, I'm going to close here in a minute. But Matthew 16, 21 says, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never, ever happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You are seeing from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And I think one of the greatest things as advice for frontline workers is, are we truly out to save lives? Because if we're not out to save life, then we're really losing life. If you try to hang on to your own life, Jesus said, you will lose it. And I'm not talking about out saving our life, but saving other people's lives. God's put us here in this town for a specific time and a specific reason. God is not done with any one of us. God is not done with you. He's not done with me. God is not done with you. There is a reason and a purpose you are alive today. You are a mighty warrior. Just like God and the angels said to Gideon, you today are a mighty warrior. He's not done with you. If God was done with you, maybe you wouldn't be here, right? But you are a mighty warrior, and God has put you here for a reason. And so as we wrap up this morning, there's two frontline workers that we looked at in the Bible. One was King David, who was a mighty warrior. And then we see Jesus Christ, of course, who was awesome and amazing. And God this morning, I do believe, is leading every single one of us as some form of a front line. Is it, if we serve in a front line where the enemy is, do you think it's a place that we get to pick? Is it a place where we feel comfortable? Is it a place where we like and it brings us so much happiness? Or do you think God leads us to a place where we need to stretch? Is it a place where we need to stretch? Jesus set the tone for all of us. Jesus gave up. This was God himself. He gave up his life so that you can find life. He gave up his life so that I can find life. He's asking us, don't be consumed with what you want, your life, what's comfortable, what's good, but be consumed with the frontline work I've put you here to do. You know, we started with this, and I'm going to end with this, and one of the saddest tragedies that our country has seen in 20 years, and I was um, 25 years when this all happened. But again, 29, 77 people died 20 years ago. 265 of them were on planes. 2606 were in the World Training Center. 
125 were in the Pentagon. 343 of them were firefighters, 71 cops, 55 military. And so if you look at who was on the front line, all of these people serving, helping in the front line. You had the firefighters, 343 who died. You had the cops, 71 of those who died. You had the 55 military who died as well. But how about also the people who were in the trade center who were trying to help one another? You know, and it was such a gruesome sight as you watch people jump out. You know, as you see people who the heat was just so intense, they had to jump out of the window. People who said, I'd rather die and kill myself splatting on the ground than to face this heat. People were there, a lot of them, for what each other. I'm going to help you. You help me. I'm going to help you. I am here on the front line. God has put you here, 2021, on the front line. My last verse for real, and then we're going to close. John 12, 23. Jesus replied, the time has come for the son, or the son of Man to enter his glory. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who love their life in this life. Does that mean that God doesn't want you to have fun? No. Does God want you to have a blast in this life? Absolutely. But he doesn't want life to be so all-consuming that you're neglecting what he's put you here to do. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Stand with me. We're going to close and pray this morning. And we close and pray this morning as we finish, as we wrap up, as this morning as we set out to remember and to honor all those who fell in 9-11. And why we remember is because we don't want to be doomed to face such evil again. We want to learn from our past mistakes. Jesus, his parting words were, listen, I will be with you no matter where you go and no matter what you do, where I have called you what I've asked you to do, it may not be what you want to do, may not be where you want to be, but where I'm asking you to stretch, what I'm asking you to say, what I'm asking you to do, I will provide, I will make a way, I will protect you, I will protect all those around you, just trust me. So parting words, trust God this morning. Trust God. Give God your life. Focus today on winning those small little battles. Don't worry about how other people get victory. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He will give you the victory that you need. God, we come to you this morning. God, we thank you for this great day that you've given to us. God, we thank you for your word, which is so alive and powerful. God, we thank you for the Holy Bible, which is so alive and so powerful. God, we thank you for the word, God, that we get to soak in. God, that we get to read, that we get to drink in. God, we thank you. God, that there's times when we read it in here and it's something that, God, just doesn't sit right with us or something that makes us uncomfortable, God, but it is your word. You have given us this word from Genesis to Revelation. You have given us this holy Bible for us to read, to know, to understand, God, and some of the greatest and hardest lessons, God, that we hear and we see and we read today. 
God, that you call us to places that we don't want to be. You call us to serve in some of the hardest places and close to the enemy. God, I pray this morning that you would overwhelm us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would consume us. God, I pray that as we leave, yes, that we would breathe you in again. God, that we would breathe in you again, that we'd breathe in a fresh cup of your Holy Spirit, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, God, we have fresh wind and fresh power, God, for every single battle that we face today, that we face this week, God, that you would help us to listen to your sweet, small, still voice. So we give you this day and week. Again, we pray for those who are hurting and sick out there, that you would be with every single one of our friends, family, and our Zoe friends and family. In Jesus' mighty name.